Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. With over 200 episodes in 17 countries, over five seasons, with three million monthly listeners, we are Radio Strong. Now, here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. This is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Scott Lopez, and we're going to be talking about resiliency today, and this is part of a series that we are calling our success series, and there's lots of different parts of success, and success means different things to different people, but we're going to focus on resiliency today because when I see what's going on in the news, Scott, I see, you know, floods, fires, famine, and there's always people who who are... They survived despite all the odds. I think of this couple that, that an older couple that jumped in their pool, they put wet t-shirts over their head as the firestorm came through their community. They were one of the few people that, that survived the firestorm as it blew through. And I look at some of the success stories in the floods. And one of the things that I see as part of success is resiliency. And I'm so excited to talk to you today about resiliency. Well, Sandra, excited as always. Thanks for having me. And, you know, I think in life, resiliency or persistence has to be probably the number one success quality, uh, you know, to getting what you want and feeling happy and being happy. You have two kids. I have two kids. And what I've noticed is one of my kids has a lot more innate resiliency than the other. And I think it's because he's the younger one and he's used to getting pounded down and he's got to get up if he wants to continue playing. And I look at myself with my brothers and my sisters. If I didn't get up, you know, when I got knocked down, I wasn't allowed to play. So I think there's something about nature versus nurture and something about personality. Um, some personalities, I think, make it easier to be resilient than others. But I definitely think resiliency can be taught i think so you know in my uh in my experience i would say that my my youngest uh, i have two daughters you have two sons my youngest also is a little bit more resilient than her uh, than her older sister uh, not to say that the, you know the, the older one's not tough but uh, i think there is something to that you know i think it's uh there's a lot of metaphors out there right steel sharpened steel um is one of them i think it's the situations that you put yourself in in life, you know, what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger, right? I mean, it's that whole concept of of uh, being outside of your comfort zone, and sometimes we can uh, be proactive in how we do that, right? We could put our, we can move away to a different city, we can, uh, you know, pivot into a different industry. We're outside of our comfort zone. Sometimes it's thrust upon us. Maybe we. Um, you know, have the death of, of, a, of a spouse or a family member or you get laid off from a job and uh, you weren't expecting it. But I think one of the things about resilience and, and pushing yourself and seeing what you're really all about is getting out of your comfort zone, uh, learning from that in all ways, and then uh, taking it to the next level, right? I, but, but I think that's part of it. And again, sometimes it's forced upon us like those, you know, that great example you just gave of the couple that jumped in the pool, um, you know, to save themselves in a firestorm, or or had to climb to the top of their their house during a flood or a hurricane or you know whatever, it's it's been it's all about comfort zone in my mind. And do you live in that comfort zone to get better, or do you uh, stay in that comfort zone and 
uh, don't get better and, and can't handle the adversity, and you're not resilient. You know, there's a there's a saying: uh, we're like flowers or plants, right? Either we're growing or we're dying. I think I think that's pretty extreme, but it does make a lot of sense to me. Well, and I think sometimes, Scott, we get complacent. At least I do. I'm going to speak only for myself. I'll never speak on behalf of you or anybody else. But I know that when I have money coming in, the kids are doing good. Um, My goals are important to me at that point. And I kind of had a come to Jesus this morning because I was so frustrated with myself and I I actually made these affirmation cards because I had to I had to put my money where my mouth is and actually do the things you know so I'm not the world's biggest hypocrite you know that I talk about and one of the affirmation cards that I put this morning um and I read these when I come into work they sit at my desk they're they're brightly colored index cards and they're just written with a sharpie it's nothing nothing major but I wrote I get out of my comfort zone I take risks I take action I focus on my goals what are you doing today, Beck? And that's that's my affirmation card. And it's my question to myself because the biggest challenge I've had recently, Scott, was I took a spin class. I'm like, oh, I've never, you know, done spin before and I was going to study it, learn everything I can about it. And, you know, it wasn't like that big a a risk, you know, it's not like when I learned to surf or um, learned to scuba dive, things like that, that were were big risks for me or things that I was worried I would, would not be good at. But if we don't continually challenge ourselves on a daily basis, um, I think we get complacent. At least I do. I think it's a great point, and it's it's. Uh, I think it's human nature, right? I mean, you know, I look at my life, going through my twenties and my thirties, and you know, we uh, we work really hard in our careers, we work hard on ourselves. Maybe we get married, maybe we build a business, we have families, and it just seems inevitable that. Uh, it's almost like people are going to fall into a comfort zone, right? We get comfortable. You get comfortable with your spouse. You get comfortable with your routines. And you wake up in your 40s. It seems to be in your 40s, something, you know, 40s to uh, mid-40s, early 40s to mid-40s. And maybe you're not where you want to be. Uh, maybe you lost some of the fire. You know, good enough is good enough. And it's something I think we just need to be aware of and be on guard for. I know for me personally, um, I look at all aspects of my life too, and I try to, be holistic and congruent physically and emotionally and spiritually and mentally and financially so that I'm not in my comfort zone because I do – I've learned uh, that can happen to me too, <laughs> and it well, has it, happened to me in the past. The comfort zone, you know, like when you're in your 40s or your 50s, what I found is that that's when I start feeling bored. That's when I start feeling – and I won't say depressed because I'm not really a depressed person, but I start feeling that malaise. Like, oh, is there really more to life? Is there – you know, what am I doing with my life? And, you know, I start going into that introspective thing, which is all good to a point. You know, you, you got to take action. You can't just sit there and wallow in it. But one of the great things that busts me out of my comfort zone and makes me feel alive is when I give myself a challenge that I'm not sure that I can do or you know like being over 40 in a spin class where everybody's like 19 and 20 you know that wasn't easy for me and years ago I did a breast cancer run at Dodger Stadium and my the girls on my team were all in their 20s and I was like grandma in my 40s (laughs) and that was hard for me you know might not be hard for you or somebody else but that was something that that took me out of my comfort zone and I had to go to my like Three, I have three things that I tell myself every time I open up 
to a challenge. And I say to myself, I cannot fail. I can only learn. I can only grow. Like there is no failure in, in most of the challenges we do. And if you look at, you know, you can only grow, you can only learn. Those are the only two outcomes. Um, whatever the outcome is, then it kind of takes that fear out of failing. It, it, absolutely. And I, I think it's, again, all about perspective and positive attitude. You know, there is no, uh, you know, failure. There's only a win and a lesson learned. You know, I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I got into Brazilian jiu-jitsu in my early 40s. I've been at the sport for about eight or nine years now. I can't even remember. I won a world championship in 2013. I have had every every situation that can happen on the mat, so to speak, has happened to me. You know, I've won a world championship and I've been put to sleep by somebody else in a submission chokehold. You know, I went out because I didn't tap soon enough and or I didn't recognize the danger. So, how how do you view those? How do you process those those experiences? And I'm just going to say a couple things here. Number one, for everybody out there listening, if if you're not happy with your your fitness, if you're not happy with your financial position, if you're not happy with uh, your your relationships, whether they be to other people or yourself, guess what? Here's the good news. Everybody, pardon me, not everybody, but there is there is an example of multiple people out there that have been in your situation, put together a game plan, executed on that game plan, and achieved their goals. It's a fact. I mean, there is nothing new out, and this is actually pretty liberating, there's nothing new out there that's happening to you, me, or anybody else that other other people haven't gone through, survived it, and prospered and thrived. And that's really hopeful, right? That's eternal optimism. I mean, there is, you know, there's, if you had, God forbid, you've had cancer, you've been an amputee, you've had, you lost your family. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people have suffered through that already. And they've, they've gone, you know, they've, they've made it to the other side um, and live, you know, continued in their lives and, and without damage. And, you know, if you seek out that information, you'll find it and it will come to you. So, so to me, that's just, it's in a, that helps me with my resilience, right? That helps me with my persistence. Well, and, you know, it's funny you talk about that because I, I did a lot of writing for Inspire Me Today many years ago, and those articles still float around. And every once in a while, I'd say maybe every two weeks, I get an email from somebody who's, like, touched by that inspiration, and they're they're going through the hard part. And I always tell everybody, Scott, you can't have inspiration. You can't be inspirational without tragedy, without upset, without conflict. And you know, everybody's going to have those things that happen to them in their lives that like, you know, they kind of buff off the diamond. Like, you know, you've got this piece of coal and life keeps battering you like a, like a rock being smashed around in the waves of my lake. And then, you know, we get softer, we get more beautiful, we get all these things, but you know, to buff off the rough edges is pretty painful. And when people say like, I look for inspirational material, it always comes out of tragedy. It's really hard to be inspirational in a speaker saying, hey, you know what? My life is wonderful. It's always been wonderful. Here's how it can be wonderful for you, too. <laughs> you know, so you got to take the good with the bad, the yin with the yang. And, and you know, inspiration does come from tragedy. Or it um, Yeah, I, I, you know, um, I would say adversity is a catalyst for change. Right. Um, and, and I think that it's only realistic to think, you know, to, to be ready for adversity, be ready for changing conditions. Right. The only constant is change. But if we all know that to be true, then we won't be surprised. Right. We can look for the lessons. It's all about perspective. Right. It's all about how you filter and how you control your emotions and how you control um, 
you know, how you react to a situation. Again, you know, the, the people that, that you described earlier in the show that jumped into their swimming pool, put, you know, wet towels over their head, you know, so they could breathe and uh, protect themselves from the flames and the, you know, the, the ashes and everything that was falling on them. That's a great reaction to the firestorm, literally in the middle of a firestorm. Um, other people may have panicked. Other people may have uh, not handled themselves in that way, even though the pool was right there. So I think it's all about, you know, that awareness and, and, and um, levels of, of uh, preparedness and kind of brainstorming in your mind. It's, um, it, it's just it's all doable, and that's the good news. If you could live your life truly standing in a place of peace, joy, and abundance, wouldn't that make your heart soar? Now you can, with Lessons in Joyful Living, with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi, Mondays at noon central. Kimberly Rinaldi, having created a highly successful coaching practice, now teaches Lessons in Joyful Living. She believes in empowering others and that through it, you have the ability to break through any and all barriers, thus allowing you to reach your greatest potential and joyfully step into your life's purpose. What used to take weeks, months, or even years, she can now teach you in a matter of hours with her programs. For more on Kim and her show, go to her website, KimberlyRinaldi.com. That's R-I-N-A-L-D-I.com. Then join us for Lessons in Joyful Living with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. When it comes to your health, it's important to stay on top of your numbers. You need to know what your cholesterol numbers are, along with your blood sugar and blood pressure. Another number that's vital to be aware of is your waist circumference. Abdominal fat not only looks bad, but more importantly, it is criminal because it may release excess fatty acids or hormones that encourage inflammation, which are dangerous to your arteries. The fatty acids can contribute to insulin problems and plaque buildup. Keeping excess body fat at a minimum is important, but it's essential to keep fat off of your belly. Measure your waist circumference and be sure it's below 35 inches. Be diligent to exercise daily and eat good, healthy, low-fat foods to keep all excess body fat at bay. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Taking care of business every day. Taking care of business every way. Taking care of business. Hey, guys and gals. This is Sandra Beck. I'm here with Scott Lopez, and we are talking about... The importance of resiliency. Who has it? How do we get it? How do we develop it? And what are some of the characteristics of resiliency? And Scott, one of the things that, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, I think has really helped me in my life is as a very little girl, I learned that, you know, if somebody doesn't come up to me and tell me, hey, you did this or you hurt me or um, you know, I'm not one of those mind reader people or this is your fault. I always naturally assume it's never my fault. <laughs> I haven't done anything wrong. And 
I try not to take um, responsibility for setbacks or events or things that happened unless somebody tells me. And even if you tell me, Scott, this is your fault, I will look at it, examine it, and really see, well, is it my fault? And and I don't really take it personally. It's like, okay, well, what can I learn to do differently? And even though that frustrates, you know, the the you know what out of a lot of people in my life, the idea that most things that happen to us are not our fault and we can only be responsible for what we can do. Like I can only know what I know. I can only do what I know how to do. And if I do my best at the end of the day, I can lay my head down on the pillow and sleep good. But a lot of people don't share that philosophy. Right. So this is getting a little philosophical, right? And I, I think it does get into levels of maturity and wisdom, uh, emotional uh, awareness, uh, evolving, you know, and, and that is part of being resilient is, is to have that emotional intelligence. Um, number one, being self-aware about yourself. And number two, uh, being aware of the dynamics around you. So I'm going to hit on a couple couple threads here. Number one, if somebody says it's your fault, only you know or that person knows what your intent was. I think intent means everything, right? And maybe it was your fault, but you meant well. And therefore, there's like moral you – know, you, you, you have moral conviction that even though you didn't get the result that you wanted, you meant well. And, that, and somehow that um, – you know, somehow that uh, makes everything right, or it makes it more right, despite what the outcome was. This is very. This is you know. This is where we get into ethics, and where we you know, there's a lot of gray area here. Gray area here. But I think what's most important for everybody to understand is how you come across is sometimes not how you want to be perceived. And just having that awareness, just know that the way that 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 you're acting with your body language and your your actions and your mannerisms, it can offend people even though you didn't mean to. Doesn't mean you're right or you're wrong, but what it does mean is that that dynamic can be happening, and if we're just aware of it, I think that's a big step up in your emotional uh, awareness, evolving, uh, you know, as you evolve, and just being more wise as a person. Well, and I can offend people really easily, and I get on certain people's nerves, and and but I've learned also that if you don't tell me what's bothering you or what I did that hurt your feelings or what I said that you didn't agree with. I'm not a mind reader. You know, I, I don't know when you're mad. And, and if you walk into my office and you're mad or you walk into my house and you're mad, you got to tell me what you're mad about. If you expect me to apologize, like there's so many people out there that expect people to be mind readers. And I found like with my raising my kids, my boys, like if they're mad, I will say to them, they'll come home from school mad and I'll say, are you mad? And they'll say yes. And I'll, they'll, and then I'll say, does that have anything to do with me? They'll say yes or no. And then I usually say, you want to talk about it? They'll say yes or no. Like, it's kind of boring and prosaic, but I can't read people's cues, and I don't know what's going on in people's minds. And every time I try to guess, I'm wrong. Well, I, th- I think it's a great point. Um, again, being aware of the fact that you can be interpreted uh, different than with the way you're intended, is that's the first step. Right, and asking for clarification, not making assumptions shows a lot of wisdom on your part, and it may be abrupt. Right, and people don't want to don't want to be um, you know surprised, and sometimes people don't want to get put on the spot, and maybe you do create an uncomfortable situation. I'm not saying you personally; I'm just saying in general. Yeah, I do. But 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 the 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 consequences of 
making assumptions and having two different conversations and experiencing two different events at the exact same time between two people, that's worse, right? And that's when we can lead to um, hurt feelings, um, emotional drama and trauma and resentment. And if we had just had a little bit more clarification, I think it's incumbent upon everybody, don't make assumptions. And how you ask people about that uh, is pretty important. Something, and here's the other thing: you don't know, and this is an important thing. You don't know the struggle somebody else has. You don't know what kind of day they had, and just be aware of that. So it's it's actually important to be uh, mindful of that, you know, and and in our own resiliency. Because the last thing I want is to have somebody who I love or care about, or somebody who I need to get along with for business get upset because I was too abrasive or abrupt with them. So if I can at least say, I don't know what's going on with them. I know it's going on with me, but I'm just going to kind of play at kid gloves for a while until I kind of get a, a read of the situation better. Then I'll open up a little bit more. And, and I think that's, that's, again, my intent is to get along, uh, still not subjugate myself in any possible way uh, or, or supplicate to somebody or be in fear of them. But uh, just be respectful um, in, a, in, a, in a positive kind of way. Well, and I find it helpful, and maybe because I run a company all full of women except for like three guys, I find it really helpful to tell them, you know, what's going on in a very matter-of-fact way. Like when my mom died, I kept my, my close staff together, and I said, look, guys, you know, my mom died. And I said, sometimes I'm going to be weird. I'm going to be oversensitive. I know myself when I'm grieving, I want to be left alone. It's nothing personal. So if you can just give me some space when I close my door, like normally my door is open or I have this um, robot soldier when I'm having a bad day, the robot soldier points the gun at the door and everybody knows when they're in my other side office and they walk in and they see the robot, you know, pointing, he's like a big foot and a half robot and if he's pointing like at the door, then nobody's to come in. And it's, it's funny way to deal with it, but knowing Knowing what, that you're going through something and telling people, hey, look, it's not you or like the kids, I'd say to my kids like, hey, look, you know, grandma died and you're going to see mom cry or grandpa cry or, you know, people are going to be really sad and you don't have to be afraid. It, you didn't do anything wrong. It just is. And that's a big, big part of accepting people for what is. Well, again, it goes back to emotional intelligence in my mind. Um, you are being very self-aware. And I think it's you know you you know yourself, and not only that you know the dynamics around you, the group dynamics or the situational awareness. And having that situ- situational awareness is key. Nobody's asking you to change. Nobody's asking you to to you know that you're wrong. Nobody's saying that there's something uh, that's your fault. All we're saying is you know be aware of yourself, and then be aware of those around you. And that's that's as much as anybody can ask for. And and I think that does speak to resilience, uh, resiliency, and persistence. Well, it does because there's setbacks. You know, set, sometimes setbacks are because of our own choices or maybe we, we didn't know something and now we know it, so there was a setback. But there's also setbacks, you know, and I didn't realize this till like after the fact. Like when my mom died, I went through foreclosure, got divorced, you know, had all this financial, you know, drama going on. That set me back. It set me back on my game. It set me back on my confidence. I really had to work hard to build myself back up to, you know, where I was or even better. And those were setbacks for me. But 
the way that I talk to myself about those setbacks, like now when I look back, I'm much kinder to myself saying, wow, you know, you went all through that in a year, yet you still kept your company running. You still paid your bills, your, your paid your car payment, your mortgage. Like that was really good. Um, and acknowledging those setbacks that sometimes they're a poor choice, which, you know, obviously I made some poor choices, but all of those, that conversation, that dialogue that you have in your head really either props you up for success or knocks you down. Um, again, and there is no, uh, there are no failures, right? They're just lessons learned. And so, you know, from a resiliency perspective, um, we can take full responsibility for what's happening to us, right, and and how we react to it. Because we cannot always control the situations around us, but we do control how we react to it. And one of the things um, that one of my favorite sayings is, do something today, right now, that your future self will thank you for. Yeah. Right? So, so everything that's happening to you right now is because your previous self in the past made a decision that put you here. So whatever that's we do now puts Potter us somewhere rule. else. Yeah, that's called – yeah, I mean that's perspective, right? It's not getting caught in the weeds. It's like, hey, wait a second. I'm actually in charge. Yes, you are in charge. Yeah, I like that because that's like you know, like all Terminator and, and you know, like what, what is future Sam going to thank past Sam for? I mean that's kind of like some fun mental you know, juice to get you through the afternoon. But it's true though if you think about it. Right? It is- it's, totally, it's totally true. It's totally true. Um, you know, in jujitsu, you know, we we have this uh, the saying um, at our team at our school, and uh, we're extremely successful, twelve time world champions uh, as a team. Uh, we compete not to prove, but to improve. Meaning, we go to tournaments not to fight and prove ourselves and get on the podium and win medals or championships or titles. We go to the tournaments. Uh, and compete at the highest levels to improve our game and become better people. And we know the results will come uh, and the accolades will come if we have that focus. So we're not there, win, lose, or draw. As long as I got better, I'm moving in the direction of my goals and, and the achievement that I want. Well, I think that's a really healthy mindset. I'm going to offer a mindset from Lego. <laughs> and my favorite one that I'm going to end this um, this segment with is that, you know, what can I do today to get me to where I want to be? It puts the control firmly in your hands. You don't get involved in the outcome. You know, like what you were talking about, you're not there to win medals. You're there to improve. And improvement is a constant chasing game. It's also um, very subjective. So you your outcome leaves an open field for opportunity and it really isn't limited because if your goal is just to get a medal and you get the medal like okay well good been there done that what do I do next and that's why I think the search for continual improvement is is such a great it's such a great goal it's such a great outcome we're visiting today with Scott Lopez Scott tell us about your radio show um everything is awesome <laughs> had to go back to the Lego <laughs> My radio show, DisruptiveInvestor.com, we highlight the investors and the CEOs and entrepreneurs that are doing disruptive things in all of technology. Um, it is a really fascinating show. You can go uh, www.disruptiveinvestorradio.com. We go over artificial intelligence, drones, cryptocurrency. Uh, I just did a show today on cannabis, which is incredibly disruptive. Uh, again, DisruptiveInvestorradio.com. Check it out.
would you guess has the fastest talkers? Recent research by analytics company MarchX revealed that the nation's fastest talkers come from Oregon, Minnesota, Massachusetts, Kansas, and Iowa. What about New York, you ask? New York ranked near the bottom at 38. But New Yorkers do use more words. A New Yorker will use 62% more words than someone from Iowa who have the same basic conversation. What's another word for fast-talking? Takilaya. America's slow-spoken or tardiloquent talkers were from North Carolina, Alabama, South Carolina, Louisiana, and Mississippi. What's a word for someone who likes to say the same thing over and over? A batologist. It's Martin I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. What should you invest in as far as workout equipment is concerned? My answer is simple. Invest in a good pair of exercise shoes. The shoes that you wear for exercise can really make a difference for your body. Regardless of how they look, go for shoes that have the right fit and support for your foot. Orthopedic surgeons and podiatrists will tell you that the shoes you wear are crucial to your body's alignment and the protection of your feet. Many injuries that are common with exercisers, such as low back problems, plantar fasciitis, and knee pain can be in direct relation to the shoes you wear. Take the time to get fit for the proper shoes by salespeople who really know. You don't have to buy the most expensive shoes, just the ones that are right for you. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. and dolls this is sandra beck and i'm here with scott lopez and we are talking about resiliency the importance of resiliency in uh how we interpret success how we interpret failure and one of the things that i found too scott is that one of the things with me at least is that when i have a fail you know and i know i know there's no failure we can only learn but there are you know there are times when i look at things and go wow that was a bad decision or that was an epic failure um i don't transmute that to other parts of my life like if i blow it um you know like i blow it at the pta i i shoot my mouth off and make a bunch of people mad. And then I walk away thinking, wow, I really got them thinking. And then I come home to a bunch of hate mail. Um, There's part of me that goes, well, maybe I could have phrased it differently. You know, I try to look for the learning lesson in there, but I don't transmute that to I'm a huge failure. Like I'm no longer worthy as a mother or a spouse or a, a daughter, you know, and some people take, you know, a lump, here and there, and they they let it infect the whole field. So, do you agree with the statement that knowledge is power? Sometimes. I'll challenge you. What about this one? How about results are power? Yes, that one I'll agree with. I will give you that one, Scott Lopez. Yeah, results are power, meaning you cannot argue with the results of your life. So, if something... And if we if we assume from a resiliency perspective that you've done and made all of these decisions in the past to get you to where you are today, 
and these are the results that you're getting in your bank account or in your love life or with your you know, the relationships with yourself or your kids or your fitness or whatever, then you can't argue with those results. So let's make some different decisions moving forward on how we how, you know on how we handle things. The result, you know, the the goal doesn't change. You know, what my my dreams don't change, but what may have to change is my strategy and tactics to achieve it. Because I'm not getting the results that I want, so I need to make a pivot. I need to I need to make adjustments. I need you could even take it one step further and say, I'm gonna expect that I'm gonna have to make adjustments. I'm gonna expect that adversity is gonna come my way and I'm gonna learn not what to do. I mean, I'm not gonna learn what to do, but what not to do. And to me, that is the essence of resilience. Understanding that we're gonna have to pivot. We're going to have to uh, you know, uh, make adjustments. We're going to course correct. But the goal of I want to be on, you know, have financial independence. I want to have certain health. I want to you – know, the, the, the kind of lifestyle I want. I want to feel good about myself. That never changes. How we go about it changes, and all you have to do is look at the results because the results will tell you where you're at, and that's freedom. Well- it is freedom. And I think, you know, there's like one of my favorite, favorite terms is course correction. You know, my my NASA brother is always like, you know, when a space trap gets off trajectory and makes a path through space, it's got to go on the right path. Or my dad will be like, you know, like if you really talk like that. that's what it sounds like to me he's a great big man and he talks in a language i don't understand and i don't like it because it does stretch me to you know to keep up but um you know that 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 course you know you look at like my dad with navigation in a ship you know you set the course well then you got a course correct for a, a wide variety of things and the same thing is in life if your course is it needs to be altered or um, adjusted for different things. Like my my success course was was to be retired by fifty, and you know that didn't happen. And some things happened in my life that were external. Some things happened that were internal. But I and I may have gotten off course for a little bit, but getting back on course, I think, is a big part of resiliency. And what you were talking about with you know, the expectation of course correction. If we expect that we need to make adjustments as we go, whether it's for a goal, whether it's at work, whether it's in a relationship, all these things that give and take that flexibility, um, I would say flexibility is a huge part of resiliency. Well, I, you know, what's, you know, going back to the fact that what's really the goal? The goal is you want to be happy. The goal is that you want to be retired. It may not be at 50. It may be at 45. It may be at 55. But the goal remains the same. So if we know that to be true um, and we just kind of let the out, you know, uh, you know, for the Buddhists say, get into, um, you know, non-attachment or become non-attached to the outcome, it will just, it will, you know, appear and manifest. Well, that's kind of a pretty healthy way to do it because we're really not in charge. But the goal can be the same. And I think that's what, you, you know, and if we actually, you know, this is where we talk about, you know, from an investor perspective, you know, right, you know, there's risk profiles and what are the, you know, what's the probability of success? I mean, it, it all kind of ties together in my mind. And, and, and because I know that it does, then the idea of persistence and resilience and mental toughness, which is performance under pressure or criticism or adversity um, or chaos, uh, we can get through it. We can expect it to come our way. And if we prepare for it, then we'll face it. We'll, you know, 
uh, you know, get to that firestorm and come out the other side. Well, that's it. You know, about that setting expectations also is the expectations we set with ourselves through our own languaging. And you know me, I like to rip things apart and examine them and, you know, take in every little tiny detail, chew on it and then spit it out. Um, That all or nothing, every time, forever, languaging is one of the things that makes or breaks my day. If I think that this is going to happen every time, or I have that languaging, like every time you do this sand, you give up, or every time you do this, you know, you don't get the outcome you want. That type of languaging, like the never, you never do this, or I never do that. That type of languaging is really destructive and it's just a simple word change. And if you embrace the concept of maybe, you know, like there's a great book I read a while back called the gift of maybe, like if you replace so many of these, these, negative, put you in a box, throw away the key, languaging, you open yourself up to so much greater opportunity. If I say, Scott, you never, I don't know, you never do what I tell you to do. Or I say in my head, like, wow, maybe he's got other things to do, or maybe I'm looking at this wrong. Just the using the word maybe is, is, is very freeing. I, I agree. Again, um, it's the intent, it's the emotional awareness, it's the uh, knowing yourself and then having the, the, the situational awareness of how things are going around you, right? Um, it's, 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 it goes back to results. Are you getting the results that you want in your life? And if you're not and maybe you're struggling in your relationships with people, well, then maybe that using the word maybe is a great way to kind of fix those, those relationships, Maybe you are assuming too much. Maybe you're not. But I, I think it's great because the word maybe empowers us to, one, uh, look, at, look at things from different perspectives, to take responsibility for your actions. Uh, under, you know, it's, it's great. I think it's very, very empowering, Sandra. Well, and I think it also opens the door for possibility. It opens the door for creativity or trying something new, you know. The idea of maybe, you know, when I grew up, Scott, maybe in parent speak to me was a no. Like I'd be like, hey, mom, can we, you know, can we go to the water park today? Or, you know, can we, and she'll go, maybe, because she didn't want to say no and have all the kids blow up at her. And she didn't want to say yes and drag us all there and break the bank. So the concept of maybe, maybe we can do this for me always meant no. And I kind of had to retrain myself that, you know, maybe is a good thing. Maybe opens the door to possibilities. It, it, it does. And it, it, everything, everything may be exactly as you perceived it because you've been around for a while and you have lessons learned and you have experiences and you have a wealth of knowledge. But just the fact that you can ask the question that really takes us into the realm of critical thinking. Right, and not seeing things on the surface and understanding uh, what we're seeing on the surface is really just a symptom of, of what's below. Uh, one guy who I used to coach with would say, The issue is not the issue, there's always something below. Right? So, if we had a, a um, an argument with a girlfriend or a spouse or a bro- boyfriend or whatever, our significant other, that and maybe it was something over like leaving the toothpaste 
out on the counter or the toothpaste cap off the toothpaste and you know this person kept asking you over and over and over and you didn't do it and to you it was no big deal and all of a sudden it turned into this major eruption drama and trauma argument about the toothpaste and the toothpaste cap and whatever and you're like dude what's the big deal and they say well you know you always do it really what we're talking about here is potentially an issue of respect right and the person felt that you were disrespecting them and it just manifested in a toothpaste tube and a cap that you didn't put on and so what so having that awareness to ask well maybe it's not what i think or maybe it's not the way it appears that opens the uh the door right opens the window to a a a deeper conversation of what's really going on and that's that's resiliency because because we if we don't ask the maybe then we get mad we punish we we hurt people that hurts us and we create tremendous damage right and and on multiple levels that was just totally unnecessary so i think i think you know having that intelligence you know that awareness of ourselves and the overall situation or at least asking those questions maybe i think that's very powerful well, I think it is too, because, you know, when you brought up the toothpaste analogy, I think of like, you know, is this about control? Is this about, um, you know, you know, it could be as simple as not feeling heard. You know, I've got one passive aggressive kid and one really aggressive kid. And, you know, it's interesting to watch them fight because Zachy will hide Max's retainer so he can't find it at night. And he'll just be a sneak. He'll just move it like from the bathroom over to the dresser by his TV. So it's, it's you know, and I've caught him sneaking around doing this stuff. And, and you know, people get back in the oddest ways. And all it does is damage. Like at every single level, it damages. And, you know, it could be as simple as not being heard. And, you know, I think we're going to talk about communication as a function of resiliency when we come back from the break. We're talking with Scott Lopez. His show is Disruptive Investor Radio. And you can find it at Toginet. You can also find it. Scott, what's the website? It's www.disruptiveinvestorradio.com. Okay, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about communication, about communication strategies, and how that affects resiliency. Because if you don't have a team, if you don't have some things in place for your success model, it's going to be really hard to be resilient. And I think sometimes it's really hard to be resilient on your own. I know there's times in our lives we have to be solo, but we don't always have to fly solo. Back after the break. Music give us chills, goosebumps, or the medical term heripilation occurs while listening to music. That's because music stimulates a reward pathway in the brain, encouraging dopamine to flood the striatum, a part of the forebrain activated by addiction, reward, and motivation. Melomaniacs or passionate music lovers can get the chills from songs they are familiar with as they anticipate that long-awaited chord at the climax of the piece. Music, it seems, affects our brains 
the same way that chocolate gambling and potato chips do. I think I may need to stick to chocolate and potato chips because I tried piano lessons and I felt like a gustum noodle. What's a word for a person who dislikes practicing the piano? A mesodactylist. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. If you're working towards losing a few pounds, one sure way is to snack before you eat a meal. That may sound crazy, but if you eat an apple before you have lunch, or cut up a cucumber or handful of fresh baby carrots, you will not be as hungry when it comes time to have your meal. So you will eat less. I cook dinner at home for my family almost every night, and one of my biggest temptations is nibbling while I am cooking. I am usually so hungry by that time, and I can eat almost a whole meal just by nibbling. I have made it a point to cut up fresh vegetables so I can nibble on them while I'm preparing dinner for everyone else. I encourage you to do the same thing and snack on fresh fruits and vegetables before you sit down to eat your meal. You will be amazed at how little you eat then. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our website at annettehammond.com. and dolls this is sandra beck and i'm here with scott lopez and we are talking about resiliency and how communication plays a part in resiliency now scott when i went through challenges in my life one of the things that i always had no matter how old i was i could go talk to my mom so if i had a busted knee or you know i got lost in the cornfield and got scared or you know, I flunked a physics test in college, I could always call my mom and she could talk me down off the wall. And she was so great because she'd ask me pointed questions. She was like the world's greatest therapist because she'd ask me pointed questions that led me to discovering my own answer rather than lecturing me or telling me, you know, it took a lot for my mom to get mad at me. Most of the time she would just talk it out with me until we had some sort of solution. And When she died, I didn't have that anymore. And I hadn't cultivated relationships around me that would support me. I was everybody else's support. I was their coach. I was their mentor. I was the leader. I ran X, Y, and Z. And I did, you know, P, Q, L, X, Y, Z, and A, B, and C. So I didn't have a whole lot of support structure in place. And so I hired a coach, I hired a divorce coach, and I hired a therapist. I had three people a week, specialists in their arenas that I paid along with a personal trainer to keep me on track. You know, I was kind of like JLo only for like poor country girls. And it wasn't about beauty. It was about creating my team to help me get back on track. And it took a lot of money and it took a lot of sacrifice because I didn't have a lot of money in those days to put everything back together to spend on myself. So um, I had to pay for it. Well, now I've been better at cultivating relationships that go both ways. But at the time I didn't. And I think my resiliency needed a lot of shoring up and I needed that communication to talk to people and to talk to people in an arena that was safe and objective without judgment. I think that's fantastic. I mean, 
you know, one of the leadership principles that I learned in the Marine Corps was know yourself and seek self-improvement. And just to be honest and vulnerable uh, and, you know, be willing to reach out for that help, it takes a lot of strength and courage because so many people uh, in life would feel ashamed, right? They think they can take the burden of the world upon themselves and they're not going to reach out for help um, because they think it's weakness. But the actual, the real weakness is not reaching out for help. Because when you reach out for help, that's how you are able to face your fears, work through them, and let them go or face your issues or whatever. So I think it's fantastic that you were able to uh, realize that if you would uh, you know, hire some key people, and that's what they're there for, right? That's why people become coaches or experts or authority figures so they can kind of give back. And, and maybe they've gone through what you've gone through and can give you that you know, certain perspective. Um, there is a coach – uh, for almost every single situation out there. And the highest performing athletes, entertainers, CEOs, um, you know, just performers in general, uh, the top 1% or the world class, they all have coaches around them. So I think it's brilliant uh, that you did that. Now, I'll share a little, a little funny story here. Uh, after my first divorce, again, some of my adversity and lessons learned, I hired a consultant to help me. And, um, you know, I'd gone through a divorce and breakup of a household and goods, and I was restarting. I was restarting my life. So I got a new apartment. I got new furniture. I bought a new car. I mean, it was the new me. And, uh, but I was also working a, a career full time. So I hired a consultant, a woman, and she went in and she helped me with the interior decorating. And she helped me pick out clothes. And she helped me, um, you know, during the move, and and she showed up at the house and made sure that the you know the movers were there and got the utilities turned on. I mean, she basically was like what a spouse would do. But her, but the name of her business, you'll love this. Oh, and she also did some dinner parties. She organized some dinner parties for me later uh, for business. Her business was called CheaperThanAWife.com. That's hilarious. That's awesome. It was awesome. So for like, you know, six or seven hundred dollars or whatever I paid her, you know, for her consulting and her help, I was thinking, my God, I would have paid tens of thousands of dollars if I would have had a spouse that was doing all this for me, right? Because the person would be living with me and da 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 and all the stuff that goes so cheaper than a wife.com. So it's actually cheaper to get out and find people around you and consultants and experts to help you than it is sometimes to uh, try to do it alone or, you know, uh I guess with a spouse. <laughs> well, I think, you know, you know, what you're talking about is leverage. And, you That's know, when you're rebuilding after a divorce or after a foreclosure or after financial ruin or a death, you know, take your pick. There, You're right. There's people who have walked these paths before us. And I don't need to learn everything the hard way anymore. In my 20s, I need to learn everything the hard way. I don't need to learn it the hard way before. And I recognize at this point in my life that I am not the expert in anything other than maybe one or two areas. Like, you know, the idea that you can learn it from a book is great, but you can't learn everything from a book. And when somebody has walked through this and walked this path before you, they can also let you know what is coming up. And this is where, you know, like when we talk about resiliency and communication, um, what happens with communication and resiliency is 
in one of the hardest things we have with resiliency is our mental game and controlling our thoughts. And when I was going through custody and, you know, all sorts of court for, for my divorce and domestic violence, all this stuff, which was really ugly and it could breed a lot of negative emotions in me. And it was. And one of the things that I found with not only my divorce coach, but also my business coach at the time was the ability to monitor my own thoughts and weed out the bad ones before they had a chance to take root. Because if you go into a negotiation or you go into a divorce, which really is just a series of multiple negotiations, or you're in a hostile environment, like in the case of domestic violence, you got to be on your A game. And I didn't want to be falling apart. I didn't want to be full of negative emotions and I needed tools to help me do what I needed to do. So when people would say, oh my gosh, Sam, you're so strong. Or my attorney said at one point, he goes, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you're so cool and calm and composed. He says, most women would have jumped across, you know, the bench by now and strangled the guy. And I said, no, you know, I've got coaches, I've got faith. I've got all these people around me prepping me for what to prepare or how to prepare or how to view the situation. And one of the best pieces of advice, Scott, that I got was to step back, pull away from the emotion and watch like the whole court scene as if you were watching like a NCIS or a, one of those, you know, um, law shows on TV. Just watch it unfold, take the emotion out of it and concentrate on what your role is. Concentrate on your part. Well, I couldn't do that if I was full of negative emotions. And my coaches and my therapist helped me breed positive emotions within that difficulty so that I could give all my strength and effort towards the resiliency efforts. Um, I, I applaud everything that you just said. I really, I don't really know if there's much I can add to it. I mean, it's, it's about leverage. It's, it's about reaching out to those experts and those resources that, again, that have, quote, unquote, been there, done that, and knowing that uh, there will be a path forward. Um, resiliency is knowing uh, or having the, the belief that everything can be overcome. Everything uh, – there's nothing that's not insurmountable. Somewhere along the line, somewhere in history, either – Today, people are experiencing things that you have gone through or they're experiencing much worse, and they made it just fine. So again, it's all about perspective. It's all about how are you going to react to, uh, to the adversity when it comes, and you know it's going to come. Again, well, go, ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say on the internet, um, we, we live in an amazing time. Uh, the world's knowledge is less than you know, is seconds away on the internet right now. And it will always be like that for all of us for the rest of our lives. Did you know that if you went to YouTube, there's a video for absolutely almost every yeah. everything that you can possibly imagine in question and knowledge um, or, 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 or problem. Somebody did a video or a series or a ton of videos on YouTube on how to do something. So just Google it, and a video will pop up with somebody there, some expert, hopefully, uh, sharing their knowledge and wisdom with you. It's amazing. There's really no excuse. I guess you could even say there's really no excuse uh, for people to fail because if they fail and they continue to fail, which again, learning from your lessons, I mean, un understanding that you're going to fail is one thing. It's making sure you don't repeat them over and over and over again. Well, and, you know, Scott, when you were talking about 
YouTube or Google or all these things, you can also find these things, you know, in history and in nature. And one of the things that I'd like to leave you with is in my community, the Mennonites and Amish would make these quilts and each quilt, and I can't sew, but each quilt would have a, a picture on it, you know, that represented, you know, the birth of a child, or they'd make a quilt pattern, you know, for this and for that event. And when somebody was older, they would put this quilt together and it would have all these different little visions of of their life on there and one of the ladies said to me one time she says remember what you're going through is only a square of fabric on the quilt of your life and if you look at your life being a quilt and all these different little pictures on there you start to get the perspective that this is only one moment in time this is only one instance and it's going to be up to you to to what what other what other, you know, squares are you going to make in the quilt of your life? Um, I'm not familiar with the quilt of your life, but I get the concept. and I think it's great. <laughs> well, you know. you know, all right, so you give me one. What's a perspective? Give me a, you know, you gave me a great perspective about being a fighter pilot and dying and, you know, being nervous about something. Well, I, again, I, I think for where I'm at right now, um, this whole concept of do something today that your future self will thank you for. Right. You still got each of us has another 10, 20, 30, 40 years, you know, God willing, left on the planet, 50 years. And what are you going to do moving forward? And who do you want to be? And what kind of life do you want to have? And what's going to really make you happy? And if you look back and you do that, 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 uh, um, you know, write your own obituary exercise, like, you know, he was known for this or she was known for that and people loved him and they were, you know, uh, they're, they, they're survived by these people. What is your legacy? Does, I guess that's what we could do, right? I mean, I know we're, we're kind of wrapping up the show right now, but what do you want to be known for? So what can you do today that will help you have the legacy that you want uh, of your life? For me, it's my family and giving back to society. I want to be known for that. Um, so everything I do is moving in that direction. Thanks for spending time with us today on Military Mom Talk Radio. We've got more than 200 episodes available to you anytime on iTunes or at our website, MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com. Find us on Facebook or Twitter. We look forward to another great conversation with you on Military Mom Talk Radio.